Purple is the color of royalty. And tonight, the shroud upon the cross is purple because at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, royalty will be nailed to that cross, the only begotten Son of God. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain, and it's purchased for God with thy blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. O oh, Father God, tonight as we come to this service, we acknowledge, O oh Lord, that what we are commemorating tonight is something too great for our human minds to grasp. And yet even so, Father, we pray tonight that in response to the plea of our heart, you will be present in such a way that no one can walk away from this service tonight and say, God wasn't there. Manifest your presence to us, Lord and all that is said and done and our meditations lead us Lord in the paths that you would have our thoughts go we are eager to glorify you but also to be edified as we express our gratitude tonight through our prayers in Jesus name recite with me John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world that the world should be saved through him. Let's sing together the song, Here is Love. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life are ransomed, shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember who can cease to sing his praise he can ever be forgotten throughout him's eternal days on the mount of crucifixion fountains open deep and wide through the flood gates of God's mercy float a vast and gracious tide grace and love like mighty rivers Poured incessant from above And heaven's peace and perfect justice Kissed a guilty world in love Let me all 
thy love accepting love the ever all my days let me seek thy kingdom only and my life be to thy praise thou alone shall be my glory nothing in the world i see thou hast cleansed and sanctified me thou thyself hast set me free in thy truth thou dost direct me by thy spirit through thy word and thy grace my need is meeting as i trust in thee my lord of thy full as thou art pouring thy great love and power on me without measure full and boundless drawing out my heart to thee amen isn't that a great line kissed a world <laughs> oh my a guilty world in love thanks be to god for his love for us Romans chapter 5 For while we were yet helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us much more than having been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him amazing grace amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now am found was blind but now i see twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relief how precious did that grace appear the hour i first already come his grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home when we been there ten thousand years right shining as the sun we've no less days to sing god's praise than when we first began first peter chapter 1 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like 
silver, or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him to be immersed, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Tonight, we're here to relive an event that took place 1,992 years ago. And that event was commemorating an earlier event, one that had taken place 1,477 years before the event that we're commemorating this evening. For the Jews, this was the most solemn night of the year. This was the night in which Israel was born as a nation. This was the night in which the death angel passed over Egypt. And in every home the firstborn died. In every cattle stall the firstborn died. In the field where were the herds and flocks of every animal, the firstborn died. Except, except, God had said to Moses, here's what I want you to do. On the tenth day of Nisan, have every household go into their flock and pick out a male lamb that is one year old. Now, Nisan began when the first full moon appeared 
after the vernal, of e vernal equinox. That was Nisan 1. And so on the 10th day of Nisan, they were to go pick a lamb, a male, one year old, without blemish, and take it into their home and live with it, almost make it a pet. Then, four days later, they were to kill that animal. And they were to catch its blood in a basin with hyssop or some other kind of swath. They were to put the blood on the lintel and the doorposts of their home. And then they were to go inside, having roasted the lamb, to eat it with unleavened bread and a sop made of bitter herbs. And that night, when the death angel passed over Egypt, and the weeping and wailing was heard in every home, there was no weeping and wailing among the Jews because they had been covered by the blood. And Yahweh told Moses, this is to be a perpetual observance throughout all of your generations. And so from 1447 B.C. onward, the Passover had been observed on the 14th day of Nisan, year after year after year. And that is what was happening that night, the night that we commemorate this evening. Let me paint the picture for you. Jesus had been in and around Jerusalem all week long. The triumphal entry, which Jim presented to us so well last Sunday, and then the next day he came back in with his disciples, the cursing of the fig tree, and cleansing the temple, throwing over the money changers' tables, and driving out those who kept animals. Next day after that, he came back and the religious leaders were constantly harassing him. And he was having to answer all kinds of sometimes rather stupid questions. And then it was Thursday, the day of the Passover. Every night, Jesus and his disciples had left Jerusalem and gone back to Bethany, a village a short distance east where lived Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's where they'd spent the night. And so that Thursday morning, shortly after dawn, Jesus spoke to two of his disciples, Peter and John. Go to Jerusalem. And as soon as you enter the gate and go into Jerusalem, you're going to see a man walk by carrying a pitcher. Follow that man. Follow him to his house. And when he gets to his house and goes indoors, just go in right after him. And then, here's what you're to say to him. The teacher says, Where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? That's the way Mark reports it. Luke says he said, Where is the guest room? But Mark said, My guest room. This man evidently had known Jesus. Perhaps he even knew, had seen Peter and John, although they didn't know him. And so he immediately took him to the guest room. The kataluma is, is really the technical name for it. Most Palestinian homes had a kataluma, a guest room. Most on the ground floor, some second floor. This man had his on the second floor. And so he took Peter and John upstairs and showed them the guest room and said, it'll be ready for the master. Then Peter and John had quite a chore. <laughs> they had to get everything needed. They had to run out and buy unleavened bread. They had to buy bitter herbs, obtain everything that was needed. And then that night, 13 men, Jesus and his 12 apostles, went to that house at sunset, ascended the stairs, and came into that upper room. Now, 
most of us have seen and admired the 15th century painting by Leonardo da Vinci in which Jesus is sitting in the center and the various disciples and the looks on their faces, you can sort of tell what each one is doing and Judas is over here holding the bag. That's a beautiful painting and done by a man who's wanting to honor God. But that's not the way it was at all. When they entered that room, they saw a low table. And around that table, there were 13 couches all the way around. For you see, in that time, people didn't sit in chairs to eat. They reclined on a couch, leaning on their left arm, and ate with their right. And if you wanted to have an intimate conversation with a fellow behind you, you just kind of lean back on your breast and talk to him, his breast and talk to him. And from what went on, we can clearly see what happened as far as who sat where. Now, the chief seat was always the second one. Here was a seat, let's say that's 7 o'clock. Then the chief seat was 8 o'clock. And the next seat of honor was 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock is where Peter normally would sit, right behind Jesus, and Jesus would lean back on his breast. But as they entered the room, Judas very quickly ran and grabbed Peter's usual place. And a great, great dispute began to take place. Argument. This was a night in which there were very, very high emotions. And the very first emotion that we see displayed is one of rivalry and jealousy and resentment and all kinds of arguments exploded about who's greatest, all because Judas had taken Peter's seat and Peter was all upset and started it all. Now the custom was a good host, proper decorum, was for him to provide a basin and a towel. And where possible, there would be a house servant that would come and take that basin and towel and wash the feet of all the guests. They'd be sitting on the couch, their feet sticking out and back because the roads were dusty, and that was just a custom. To everyone's surprise, Jesus got up from his couch, walked to the corner, took the basin of water, wrapped the towel around his waist and let it hang down so he could use it, took the basin of water, and first washed John's feet, then Judas' feet, and all the way around till he came to the opposite side of the table, Peter was last. Peter said, Master, you're not going to wash my feet. I'll never let you wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part in me. Well, Peter, not understanding the point Jesus was making, said, Oh, Lord, then wash me all over. Jesus said, You know, Peter, you took a bath before you left Bethany. You don't need to be washed all over. So then Jesus spoke about ritual uncleanness. And then he said, One of you is not clean. He was referring to Judas who was the second person to have his feet washed that night. And Jesus knew that in a few hours, Judas would betray him. Then Jesus said, now I've given you an example. Do to one another what I have done to you. Paul seemed to echo that later in Philippians in which he wrote this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And so the first emotion of the evening was one of an ascending spirit, jealousy, resentment, anger. Who's the most important? The second emotion of that evening was one experienced by Jesus himself. 
And then when Jesus had said this, talked about what he just said, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. There must have been deep grief in Jesus' voice as he spoke because he knew the one who was going to do it. A man whom he had loved, one with whom he had spent three and a half years, a man on whom he had bestowed the ability to work miracles and cast out demons and heal the sick. Satan had taken over the heart of this man. Scripture says Satan entered into him. Of course, Judas, we have testimony earlier that he, being the treasurer, had carried the money bag and had actually stole embezzled funds. He was a man who worshipped money, evidently. And Jesus was just so troubled he couldn't keep silent. And so he said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the next emotion was one of shock and disbelief. The disciples started to look at one another. Who would do that? Who? Peter, all the way across the table, motioned to John, who was just next to Jesus. Find out who it is. Who is it? And John then leaned back on Jesus' breast and said, Who is it? And Jesus said in a quiet voice, only John heard him, it is the one, it is the one for whom I dip a morsel and hand it to him. And then Jesus immediately took the unleavened bread, broke off a piece, dipped it in the bitter herb, sob, and gave it to Judas. Jesus then leaned back on Judas' breast and said, What you do, do quickly. And Judas immediately left the room. Now because he was a treasure, the other disciples thought, I guess Jesus must have sent him to go buy some supplies or whatever. That wasn't so. He was going to rendezvous with Jewish leaders where he'd received 30 pieces of silver to help them take Jesus prisoner. And immediately around the room, the disciples all started saying one by one, you know, Lord, I'll, I'll never do, deny you. And Jesus looked around the room and said, All of you will fall away. He then recited a portion of Zechariah 13:7 Strike the shepherd, and the sheep may be scattered. Well, Peter just became very vociferous, and he said, You know, Lord, I'd rather die than deny you. Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. You know, in the morning, when it's daybreak, the rooster announces it by crowing. Before the rooster has cried three times tomorrow announcing daybreak, you will have already denied me three times. And then he said something that really confused them. He said, when I sent you out without a purse, a bag, or sandals, you didn't lack anything, did you? And they answered, we lack nothing. Then he said this to them, but now let him who has a purse take it along. Likewise, also a bag. Let him who has no sword sell his robe and buy one. 
I say to you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they all started, Oh Lord, we have two swords, we're, we're okay. You just hear Jesus sigh. That's enough. They just didn't get the point. And of course they could not have done so because Jesus spoke of a future they could not have known anything about. Then it was time to go ahead and begin the Passover meal. Jesus took the first cup, prayed over it, and the meal began. Some point in the meal, we don't know when, he took the unleavened bread and began to break it and said, This which is broken for you is my body. You know, you have to wonder what went through their minds. Maybe they, they thought about when Jesus had fed the 5,000, some of the statements he made then, he said this, when the Jews therefore were grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven, and then I, I am the bread of life. And then he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, when Jesus had made those statements some years before, some of the folks just walked away from him. Is he telling us we had to become a, a cannibal? But on this night, Jesus said something similar. The difference being he identified the unleavened bread as his body. This which is broken for you is my body. All of you eat of it. And the meal continued, and then the close of the Passover meal was always the cup of blessing. And Jesus picked up that cup and elevated it, prayed over it, and then he did something that really startled them. Now, when a Jewish young man was wanting to be engaged to a Jewish woman, wanting to be betrothed to her, which betrothal was almost as the same thing as a marriage. It was so legally binding. He came to her father's house, usually, with a cup of wine. And he offered her the cup of wine. And if she took it and sipped from it, that meant she said yes, and they were betrothed. And that betrothal was binding and would not be broken. And so Jesus was doing something here tonight that stirred their image. My goodness, this is what a bridegroom does to a bride. What does all of this mean? And then he took the cup and said, this is the cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And they use the language similar to the betrothal. They wonder, what does that mean? There's interesting symbolism here, isn't there? The church is the bride of Christ. And we know that there will come a time where there will be the great wedding feast of the Lamb, symbolically speaking at least. And all of us who are a part of God's church, Jesus' church, are a part of the bride of Christ. And so there are many things that happen when we take communion, but one is, it is as if we're saying, yes, yes, I accept you. I accept the betrothal. We're bound together. What symbolism? Do this in remembrance of me. Of course, none of the disciples in that upper room, the room is filled with a variety of emotions. 
they could not have grasped significance of what they were experiencing that night. Of course, later they did, after they had witnessed the resurrection, after they'd seen the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then, of course, when they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And one of the truths that the early church accepted was the necessity of having the Lord's Supper every time the church gathered. Some years later, Paul, writing to the Corinthian church about a situation that was all wrong, you see, the Corinthians began having an agape feast on Sunday, a covered dish dinner we'd almost think of today. And they made the Lord's Supper part of that. They had that as a part of their meal. Some were getting drunk. Some were eating like gluttons. Poor people there had maybe a bologna sandwich. <laughs> Here's what Paul said to them, wrote to them. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after, cup, after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then here's the serious part. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, uh, irreverently as they were doing, in other words, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Serious words. Over the centuries, sincere followers of Jesus have tried to, by various means, explain the Lord's Supper. For some, as you know, it is the very body and blood of Jesus. For others, it's merely a memorial. In my view, in some way, and I would not dare want to spell it out, in some way, Christ is present in these elements. When we partake the unleavened bread in the cup, we're encountering him. We're declaring our betrothal to him. We're declaring our trust in the cross. The cross which assures us of heaven. You know, in a way, when we sit and see these elements on the table, one could almost say we're seeing Christ because these are, according to his words, his body and blood. And so by faith, when we partake, we are proclaiming the Lord's death and we'll continue to do so until he comes. And so tonight we proclaim his death, the power of the cross, and our hope of heaven because of what he has done in our behalf. Let me ask now that the elders who are going to be serving the Lord's Supper to join me at this table, this area here by the cross. My dear brother Dave, receive the body of our Lord. My dear brother Jim, receive the body of our Lord. Dear Brother Joel, receive the body of our Lord. Father God, over this and
that of which the others will partake. We pray your blessing. And God, we ask tonight that as we partake, as Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. We are partaking. And may in some way that we cannot explain, may we sense the infusion of life as we partake of the unleavened bread, the body of our Lord, in Jesus' name. Children, you may partake. And Brother Dave received the blood of the Lord. And Brother Jim received the blood of the Lord. And Brother Joel received the blood of the Lord. Now, Father God, even as has been true, the unleavened bread, we now receive the fruit of the vine, which Jesus said, this is my blood. Oh, God in heaven, we struggle for words to adequately thank you. Oh, God in heaven, thank you for your love and the cross in whom we trust and declare our trust tonight as we partake of the local sacrament in Jesus' name. For the day that you will take the table back there, Brother Jim, this one, and Joel take that table. As we think about the importance of self-examination, I think it'd be appropriate for us to sing the song, Search Me, O God, because this is really a prayer, asking God to audit our life. You know, it's so easy for things to be hidden beneath the surface that we don't see. And so we, of course, ask God, Lord, Help us to see ourselves as you do, that we might repent and be what you want us to be. Stand and sing with me. Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts I pray, see if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where I once burned with shame. Grant my desire to magnify thy name. Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, and my pride. I now surrender, Lord, in thee. Ask now that the prayer teams go to their stations. There will be two prayer teams here on this wall. Let us now over the next several minutes prayerfully, reverently proceed to the Lord's table and partake of his body and blood.
What a blessing. What a blessing to know, come what may, <laughs> because of the presence of Jesus in our life, we can say it is well with my soul. Let's stand and sing that affirmation. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well. my soul my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord Praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be signed. The clouds may roll back like a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Oh, it is well with my soul. Well, it is well with my soul. We close tonight with this marvelous prayer from the Epistle to the Hebrews. Now, the God of grace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. My brother and sister, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Tonight as you leave the auditorium, I would ask you to do so quietly because there usually are some who like to sit and meditate upon the cross for a season. May God's blessing rest upon you.